Ladies and gentlemen, What's up, everybody? This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I'm Adam Green. He's Brett Barry. And, Brett, this has been actually a a pretty good week for Arizona Wildcats Athletics. Baseball is in the College World Series. Uh, Football has landed some recruits. Basketball is doing their thing. And also ASU football is in a little bit of trouble. So, I mean, hey, not bad. (laughs) I mean, you know me. I'm not one that actively roots against ASU. But I'm also somebody that doesn't mind when uh, what goes around comes around for people that <laughs> right. talk smack and that are in glass houses. And yeah, <laughs> it certainly seems that way. And we're going to talk about ASU a little bit later in this show. Like that's not our lead because, hey, we're still a, it's Wildcat Radio. We're not going to talk ASU to start. And baseball, we're going to talk to Brian J. Peterson from AZ Desert Swarm a little bit later in the show to talk about just, hey, Arizona's in the College World Series. They're playing Vanderbilt to start things off, see where things go. But Brett, there has been some pretty good news in Arizona Athletics. We'll start with football. Why not? Uh, some recruiting news. Got a cornerback, Kyron Chambers, committed to Arizona over the last week. And if you're Arizona, and this is where, I guess, if you're looking at things, and it's still early in the Jed Fish era, right? But you feel like Don Brown, the defensive coordinator, he has a reputation. And defensive players, if they're coming to Arizona to play for Don Brown, you feel pretty good because that guy has, he has some just, like I said, reputation. He has that cachet that some new coaches may not have, and that's just a good pickup for Arizona. Yeah, you know, a, a tall, athletic corner, uh, a guy that's, I think, a top five or 600 nationally recruit, basically a high three-star kind of along the lines of Jonah Coleman. Um, second highest, I think, according to 247 Sports. You know, you look, you, you, you say, you, you've seen a lot of positive momentum in terms of the buzz, if you can have momentum in terms of buzz, because uh, you, you know me in the narrative game. I mm-hmm. don't care for it. But Unless this, it's a good this, narrative, then you kind of I mean, like I'd it. rather have a good narrative than a bad <laughs> narrative. So that's, that's you know, guilty as charged. But, you know, it, this is kind of the first sign in a little while with all of these. There's been a lot of visits the last several weekends with a lot of big-name talent, a lot of legit players. Uh and it, you, you're kind of wondering when, all right, when is that going to flip into some more, some more actual commitments, right? And you know, nothing is settled till they're, you know, literally signed and on campus, as we all know. But it's nice to see some of that positive narrative come to fruition in terms of recruiting. And I think there's another big group of people visiting this weekend. Some, some more four-star guys that are that are that are coming, like Tyler Martin, the linebacker. There's a lot of there's a lot of things maybe on the precipice of happening, but it's such a weird post-COVID time. Um, you don't know until it happens, but in this case, you know, we have a guy in there and he's our second highest recruit at a position where I think it's going to be a nice thing to have a nice tall athletic corner. Yeah. It's the weird thing where when Kevin Summer was hired, for instance, you thought was like, Hey, this guy has been, he was at A&M and he gets five-star recruits. His recruiting was amazing. And you're hoping that he could bring that to Arizona. And he obviously didn't, but the first couple of classes, like Grant Cano was a four-star, Booby Kirby was a four-star, Bobby Wolf was a four-star, if I remember right. You're like, okay, those are guys who they were recruiting to A&M. You say, hey, once Kevin Sullivan, that staff went to Arizona, 
they came to Tucson. But this group where they're coming for Jed Fish, who has never been a head coach somewhere before. You know, Don Brown obviously was a defensive coordinator at Michigan. And there's talented coaches around the staff. But to get players like this, and until they sign on a dotted line, like they're not officially Wildcats. We know that. But that narrative that you're talking about, that buzz that happens where, okay, this is what you were hoping for from a new coach. Like the new coach is supposed to come in and have that level of, all right, things are better. Like Arizona doesn't, they're 12 game losers, right? Like they have not won in almost more than a, like basically a full season. <laughs> and yet if they can get some high three stars, maybe some four stars, like they're bringing you on campus, that's a good thing. And Everything we're seeing, everything we're hearing about this coaching staff, and now this is the time where you hear all the good things, but it's all good. Like, there's nothing negative about this coaching staff. And, right, unless they sign, it doesn't matter. They can say, hey, we loved our visit to Arizona and sign with Alabama or whoever it is. Like, it doesn't change anything. But if you're looking for that momentum, if you're looking for that narrative, when you hire a new coaching staff, you hire a new head coach and he brings in his staff, the hope is that they're going to have that buzz. And this coaching staff seems to have that with the players they're bringing in for visits. And when you read what they're saying about their time in Tucson, they're really excited about what they saw. Yeah, I mean, Sterling Lane was on uh, on 247 Sports talking about his visit. He's, he's a, a four-star, four star, right? Yeah. He's a four-star guy who's taken unofficial visits to Alabama, Auburn, Florida State, Georgia. like, And it, it sounds like that that visit went really well, to your point. like Everyone is saying that everything has gone well. I think I saw him uh, in in the in the interview with the the two four seven staff, um, saying that Jed Fish is saying don't commit until you're a hundred percent committed. Cool, <laughs> you know that's the way which, to go. Like, and that's that's the right way, and that that's on brand with the whole it's personal thing in my mind, and it's somebody that is saying you know, it it, it makes it easier to buy what Jed Fish is selling if he's gonna if if you're an own twelve team trying to build recruiting buzz and you're still still telling guys like don't just commit to us to like have a spot right like i personally like that approach and you see that momentum you see i think sean miller a big receiver is coming this weekend different sean miller um, <laughs> s-h-a-w-n right yeah uh <laughs> like tyler martin i think is coming this week there's a there's a um a howard i think is a pretty high three low four star safety is coming this weekend there's there's all the survey survey guys with the, the quarterback commit there's a four almost five star Receiver well, McMillan. You're messing the survey guys, right? They're from Orange County, and that was last weekend, if I remember right. We're recording this on Friday, uh, you know, the 18th. But they brought them in. They had, like, the Orange County thing. And there's the quarterback who's already an Arizona commit, the receiver, the tight end, Cam Burnett. And they just – I don't know, Brett. Like, do you remember Arizona being, like, the images, like the pictures you see on social media with – like, they had oranges. They did, like, the orange juice and the oranges. Yeah. Like, like do you remember seeing that for Arizona – like, Arizona recruiting? Because, like, I don't. I don't remember seeing well, Arizona go that, like, with the photos and everything like that we're seeing right now. I I think there's those little things that are – I mean, they're – let's be blunt. They're, they're, they're fun little gimmicks. They're silly. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, but the thing of those is if – you, if you if you follow the Twitter.com machine like I do, um, the people that are tweeting and retweeting those things out aren't the Arizona staff. It's the it's it's uh, the quarterback. I'm blanking on his last name, or I don't want to pronounce it. I think. There, yeah, I, don't I was going to let you pronounce it. I won't pronounce pronouncing his name until he's on campus, but he's good. Yeah, he's supposed um, to be really good. Him, his family, other folks are like the parents of of Fafita are like. They're the ones tweeting this out and basically recruiting the other even higher end talent from Servite. Uh, like, if you have, 
it's one thing to have your players, but if you have the family um, and the parents of people like actively promoting your program and you're 0-12 and, and they're pull, trying to pull in four- and five-star guys for you and you have a legit chance, there's something going on with the culture that Jed Fish is building that that shows that people are buying what he is selling, right? Even if it's small gimmick things, if it's Gronk throwing water bottle or you know water balloon <laughs> fights with the, the the crowd at the spring game, you know I it what he's what's what he's trying to do seems to be working so far. Um, I'll feel I'll feel much better when there's a few you know a, a complete class and they're all signed on the dotted line and on campus, <laughs> um, but. Man, you, f- you feel like there's a natural groundswell of momentum building in the program, uh, football-wise, and you feel like it's only a matter of time until we start to see more pops on on commitments from fairly high guys. And the class right now already looks pretty good. And not to tease uh, tease further, but <laughs> there might be some more guys that become available in the next few weeks. Yeah, well, this is kind of when Kevin Sum was hired, and I don't want to necessarily bring us back to that point, but the thought was, what is he going to be able to do? Right, this is a guy who has a reputation for bringing in high quality classes. He did it at AM, right? He was going to Arizona and taking some of the best talent. And when Jed Fish was hired, I was like, Jed Fish? What is this guy going to be able to do? And what he's done to this point has been phenomenal, right? Like the narrative has changed. He's been great. But in terms of recruiting, it's like, okay, this is his first full class. What can he accomplish? And he hasn't done much yet. You know, the players we've got, like, there's some pretty good commitments. We mentioned Keon Chambers. Like, there's some good commitments, but. We're not there yet with Jed Fish. Doesn't mean we won't get there with him. And I feel like this is this situation where this was the expectation for Kevin Sumlin. This was bring four, not necessarily five-star talent. This is Arizona. We know that. But bring some four-star recruits and have a few of them. And the ones he got were the guys who were going to commit to A&M before he left or before he was fired. I guess we're trying to be the most honest here. But it's really interesting to see how Jed Fish, who's basically doing this from the ground up with his staff, can recruit you know because he doesn't have the reputation from being at a head coach at some other schools a power five school sec school he's jed fish and all the concerns every one of us had when he got hired like jed fish (laughs) what like who like his history his background like this is the guy and up to this point he's done everything right and you feel really good about him and then you see the type of players to bring on campus and bringing them on campus doesn't mean they're going to get them but even rich rod used to say that was the biggest trick right if you could get them to Tucson, there's a really good chance they can commit. Maybe that happens, maybe it doesn't. But it seems like, I mean, we're here in mid-June, getting close to late June, and Jed Fish has done everything right. Like, if you look at what he's done and that coaching staff has done, it's hard to have a complaint about anything. Yeah, and it's such a weird recruiting offseason with COVID and True. The, uh, the, the, the extended dead period, shall well, we for, say? Well, for a program that don't recruit during the dead period like that's yeah, yeah. or that or that don't that don't blatantly <laughs> cheat we'll get to that a little bit later Bla- blatantly <laughs> and loudly cheat um you know like we're what we're not quite three like we're two and a half months from the first game against byu uh it's it's at this point in most recruiting cycles you'd have more commitments for most programs but everybody's taking all their visits and Arizona's getting more than their fair share of talent. And there seems to be a lot of buzz coming out of that. You know, we'll see, especially with those four star type guys and high three stars, a lot of them are going to wait, but you got to wonder, you know, with all of the, to your point, Jed fish has done almost everything right. I can't, I actually can't think of anything he's not done right so far. 
um, in terms of the coaching staff and how he's approaching things. And I, you know, you, to, it, to me, I see there's a lot of pause momentum. And boy, if you come out in the BYU game and show you're not like the team that's lost 12 straight games and you're going to be a tough out, it. May, I wonder if that's going to cause a you know a lot of dominoes to fall in terms of guys that are on the fence or thinking about committing to commit. If you're if you're even competitive in that game, in in game one, um, you know there's. Of course, the counter to that is also true. If you go out and get blown out like fifty-six to three, <laughs> but, but isn't that the thing though? Right now, where it's like Arizona's lost twelve straight games. We all know that it's Arizona, but it doesn't feel like Arizona's at rock bottom, right? It feels like at this point, as we sit here in mid-June, that Arizona's on the upswing, and it's almost like whatever happens in the regular season, none of us are saying, "Hey, they need to win five games, six games to feel good about them." If they win like four games, but are competitive. People are like, "Hey, yeah. that's a hell of a season." That's I mean, good job, Jed Fish. You walked into that situation. But, you know, like they picked up a linebacker, Rashi Hodge Jr. from New Mexico State, right? Like there's there's some positive momentum. And when we last saw Arizona in a game that, let's be honest, may not count in a few weeks' time. We don't know. I was going to say, 12 straight <laughs> losses, is it really going to be 10 straight in a, in a few <laughs> Like months? we don't know exactly what that number will be. But – if you were looking in, Brett, you've talked many times, you don't like the narrative game. And I'm not a big fan of the narrative game either, right? Like, you either win or you lose. But if you're Jed Fish, everything that's happened since the time he was hired, which was right before Christmas of 2020 to mid-June 2021, you feel good about things. Now, does that mean that you look at this roster and say, hey, they're going to win more games than we think? I mean, We haven't made our predictions yet. That'll happen later in Wildcat Radio 2.0 over the course of the summer. We're not doing that yet. But you feel good. And... Like that's <laughs> how many people feel good about a program that's lost twelve straight games. Right? If if you went back six seven months ago, or right right before or even or right after the Jed Fish hire, is there any way you would have thought it's mid June and you know what I feel pretty good about the football program? People can go right back now. and look on like check on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get Walker Two Point You can find our podcast. Listen to what we had to say. Like hold us accountable. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like I said the the narrative doesn't mean anything until you win games. But when you're a when you're a new head coach that hasn't even gotten to coach a game, it can start to show up in in more tangible ways through recruiting, right? And you're starting to see that pop with Kyron Chambers. You're starting to see that with you know the glowing reviews coming out of some real talent and like mm-hmm. some of the big national guys on you know on the recruiting guys are saying that like Arizona's legit in this for a lot of guys that are, you know, would have been there. These aren't your five, six receiver OKG types. No, (laughs) right. No, it's a, it's a different, it's a, and you know, we've talked about it before. The difference between a, like a top 500, 700, even a top thousand three-star recruit versus like the low three-star can be, you know, a world of difference. Like stars don't matter to some extent, but guess what? They also do like, it's a, it's a, it's a, there's a correlation there. Right. Absolutely. I'd rather have more four and five stars than two and three stars. But yeah. coaching makes that difference in football more than I think many other sports. But let's let's transition really quickly to basketball. Arizona basketball picked up a walk on Addison Arnold uh, this last week. He's a point guard who has a really good story. And obviously, you don't expect with Arizona basketball, you don't expect walk ons to be big time players for the program. But 
you look at that, Addison Arnold, like, you look at his background, like, hey, this guy's pretty good. <laughs> like, he's had some success where he was injured. When he came back, he's averaging maybe 23 points and almost nine rebounds on three assists and two steals a game as a point guard. But that's depth and also Arizona now being able to get out on the recruiting trail. And, you know, Tommy Lloyd, his first chance to get out there for Arizona's head coach and try to find guys. It's, the, always, the running joke has been he doesn't recruit outside of, you know, well, he doesn't recruit inside of the continental United States. Right. That's been the joke. And sure, his background is that. But until he starts signing guys, you got Kier, uh, who was a transfer from Georgia. But it's really an exciting time for Arizona basketball to see what they can do with this new coach. You know, Addison Arnold is not the best they can do, I would hope, and not to knock him. But he's a good walk on, a quality walk on. And now Tommy Lloyd and that staff is going out there trying to find more guys for 2022, 2023. Yeah. You know, I think I think one of the two holes we've talked about, I still have concerns about front court depth, but Addison Arnold to me feels like a uh, like a Max Hazard type of walk on. Quality walk on though. Like like Max Hazard was a walk on at Arizona, but like that he could have he could have played at a smaller school, right? Like he was a he was like a legit kind of guy that's you know he he'd smoke most people in a in a pickup game. <laughs> Let's just well, put that, it that, that way. That's not exactly a barometer you want to. Judge Arizona well, basketball I mean, players. Well, I mean, in a legit, in a legit <laughs> I played pickup game. games, and I, yeah, he would beat you. But no, yeah, I'm Addison sure. Arnold, or or it's, so. or it's, you know, somewhere between like he could, especially in the way the Arizona roster is, you could see him being like a Brett Brillmeyer potential mm-hmm. guy that maybe gets spot minutes. Like if you're if he's playing more than, you know, ten games and averaging more than five minutes a game, you're probably having problems. But like, there's there's not there's not going to be the dramatic drop off with him in terms of somebody that is there the, there's the break glass there. I mean, there's a break glass in case of emergency there and it's it's not you know you know it, it's not a, a, a jar of confetti that's not going to do anything on the court right, right. it's, it's going to it's the clown who comes down from the ceiling who's been dead for 6 years you're like hey finally it's a party type of thing <laughs> that got dark <laughs> <laughs> is that a family guy episode that happened they're like yay and then it's like oh no <laughs> like, keep it up there for a while. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. No, I mean he's got, he's got he's got legit size. He's you know he I, I he strikes me as somebody that could go play at a smaller program, but he's probably sees an opportunity here. And honestly, for Arizona, they've got scholarships remaining where he might even be able to get a scholarship for a year at a real program, mm-hmm. even if they're going to pull it for next year's class. Assuming there's not some NCAA sanctions that that limit scholarships, right? Um, so. You know, not anything. The reality is, you hope he's not playing a lot of minutes, but you at least say, "All right, if if Kirk Carissa gets hurt, or and or Justin Kyer gets hurt, or they get in foul trouble, you're not completely screwed." That yes, that's fair. But you know, that's that's like a worst case scenario. Best case scenario for right now. We'll talk about Arizona Athletics. The baseball team, Brett, is in the College World Series. They are the five seed, but they are. I'm not going to say the favorite. They have a chance to take the trophy home from Omaha. Let's talk to Brian J. Peterson from AZ Desert Forum after this break. Welcome back to Wildcat Radio 2.0. And as promised, we are joined by Brian J. Peterson of azdesertswarm.com. He is one of our favorite baseball guys to go to. And we're talking to him, of course, because Arizona baseball is in the College World Series. That is this weekend they are playing Vanderbilt. Uh, Brian, welcome to Wildcat Radio 2.0. Thanks for having me back, guys. Yeah, I, say, I should say welcome back to Wildcat Radio 2.0. When we last talked to you, Arizona was getting ready 
for their uh, tournament and everything, they had some, you know, the games at High Corporate Field last weekend. They were able to emerge from that region, from theirs, with a Super Regional beat by, by beating Ole Miss. It was a interesting series, you know, especially the third game. The clincher was a lot of fun, actually. Very anticlimactic, if you will. Now. Yeah, it really yeah. was. But now Arizona, they like, just a quick summary of how they got to the College World Series, how they got to Omaha, where you are right now. Gotcha. Well, the they hosted the regionals two weeks ago as the number five overall seed. First time that they've been a national seed since that was put into play with Super Regionals in the 90s, in 1999. And it's the first time they've hosted since 2012. And they uh, they went 3-0 and in their regional, beating Grand Canyon on the first night, and then UC Santa Barbara, a very good UC Santa Barbara team, uh, it's Saturday, and then in the regional final on Sunday. Uh, with a mix of timely hitting and really, really good pitching, which is just kind of what's worked for them all year. In the middle, uh, Garrett Irvin threw a three-hit shutout. It's the first shutout in the postseason for Arizona since J.C. Cloney did so against uh, Coastal Carolina in the 2016 College World Series. So that set up the Super Regional against Ole Miss, the number 12 seed, and Arizona won the first game I want to say the score was nine to three, and they were down three nothing, and then just they gave up three runs in the first inning, and then ended up winning nine to three, which is kind of what they've done a lot this year. They've spotted teams' leads, and then they've come back. Uh, they they didn't have the ability to do that the second game. They lost twelve to three, and they were down seven nothing in the second inning, which completely derailed the plans that they had had to try to work the count and get. Ole Miss's ace pitcher, Doug Nikhazy, out of the game. Uh, they, it was working, but at, once you're down 7 nothing after two innings, you kind of have to uh, switch gears and go become more aggressive, and they just weren't able to catch up. So that set up the rubber match on Sunday where both teams were going to be having a patchwork together, staffs, figure out what you want to do for pitching, and both teams ended up starting uh, relievers. Ole Miss went really bold and put their closer in to start the game, um, whereas Arizona brought in a freshman named Dawson Nets, who has made a couple starts this year, but never gone more than two innings and ended up winning 12 to three, uh, excuse me, 16 to three, just completely obliterating Ole Miss scoring in almost every inning and getting strong pitching because after Dawson Nets, they had TJ Nichols come in for five and a third innings and he only gave up a run and three hits. It was just strong all the way around. Everybody on the team got at least one hit except for one player. And several guys had three or four hits and three or four or five RBIs. It was it was a typical Arizona whooping type game. Yeah, Brian, I was going to say, you know, we've heard about all year how Arizona's team is really, you know, credible one through nine in terms of the hitting lineup, right? And it was a question of pitching. And it, would you say that that game kind of revealed what the, the, the offensive upside is for the Arizona Wildcats in that beatdown? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and people are seeing it now. Arizona's starting lineup features nine guys batting over 300. And the only one who's not, who doesn't have an on-base percentage of 400 or higher is Daniel Susak, the catcher, because he's been slumping a little bit lately. But he was the Pac-12 freshman of the year. And he and Jacob Berry were just named to Baseball America's second team for their All-America today. So it's, it's a stacked lineup that has no holes in it and has no places that an opponent can really just kind of eat up a bunch of outs. And uh, there's been some movement around of, of the lineup here and there. 
but it, it, there's a couple different combinations that they can go with where they, they, they don't have a situation where it's too many of one kind of player in one sense in a row in the lineup. Yeah, and that lineup, I saw even the games they've lost, they've seemed to at least put some at-bats together, make some pitchers work. But moving forward now, they're in Omaha, the College World Series, and talk about the old baseball adage is good pitching will beat good hitting every time. Great pitching will beat great hitting every time, right? And that's going to be tested uh, this weekend against Vanderbilt, who I know you can talk about these pitchers that they have that they're bringing in this one because Arizona's offense, it's arguably the best offense in the field, but they might be facing two of the best pitchers that they would face in Omaha on Vanderbilt's staff. Correct. Vanderbilt is known for their their two frontline starting pitchers who are both going to get drafted probably in the first round next month. Uh, the guy that's almost certainly going to go against Arizona is a, uh, a kid named Kumar Rocker. He's very big, very powerful. He throws hard. Let me, uh, I've got his numbers right here in front of me. In 17 starts, he is 13-3 and three with a 2.46 ERA and 155 strikeouts in 106 innings. And he has been on the team since 2019, and he actually was, I believe, he might have been the MVP of the College World Series as a true freshman when Vanderbilt won. They are the defending national champions because there wasn't a tournament last year. But I believe in June, which is when all the NCAA tournament games are, He's 6-0 and as a starter, so this isn't a matter of he's just loaded up during the regular season and faltered. He, uh, he, he gave up, I think, one run in the two games leading up to the College World Series this year, and he, he's got great stuff. And then the guy that's second that Arizona could face but probably not is uh, – the name will sound familiar. His name is Jack Leiter. He is the, uh, the son of former Major League pitcher Al Leiter, he is a sophomore, uh, but he's draft eligible based on his age. He's 10-3 and three with a 2.16 ERA and 156 strikeouts in 96 innings. Uh, it's, it's just ridiculous. Both these guys' uh, opponents hit less than 160 against. Um, they uh, Rocker threw a no-hitter in the Super Regionals in 2019. Lighter threw back-to-back no-hitters this season in the middle of the season. I think one of them might have been a seven-inning game, but they're, they're just ridiculously good. Uh, I just don't know. They face some good offenses, very good offenses, actually, in the SEC, but nothing that is a one through nine like Arizona and uh, th- where I think Arizona can be advantageous in a matchup against one or the other is that they're willing to see pitches and even take pitches and take strikes early in the game to try to figure out the pitcher, to give the guys behind them in the lineup more chances to see what's coming, and, and just to wear them down. That's what they were doing against Ole Miss last week against Doug Nikhazy. They, they caused him to throw 54 pitches in the first two innings, and had Arizona not fallen behind 7 nothing, they would have kept doing that. Even still, he threw 122 pitches in five and a third innings when most of that time Arizona was being aggressive at the plate. So... They're going to make this pitcher work and earn another quality start. Yeah, Brian, I think you maybe even undersold Rocker and Lighter. <laughs> I'm looking at CBSSports.com, and their mock draft have, has them both drafted in the top seven. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, Jack Jack Lighter, as you mentioned, is Al, Al, Al Lighter's son. I, I assume Kumar Rocker is not John Rocker's son. Is that correct? <laughs> he is not. He is not. That would that would be funny. 
But no, it is not. It's, it's just a, a coincidence. Both of these guys also, they were studs out of high school, but they essentially told major league scouts and teams, don't draft us, we're going to Vanderbilt. Both of them got drafted, uh, Lighter in the 20th round and Rocker in the 38th round. But basically, both of them said, there's no point in you wasting a draft pick on us. We're going to Vanderbilt, and we're going to spend two, three years there to be able to build ourselves up because we believe that we are first-round picks. Like, if you want to draft us in the first round out of high school and pay us that, that kind of money, because I don't know if you've seen what the, the bonus slots are for first-round picks, the, the number one pick in this draft is going to get, I think, an $8.4 million signing bonus. Not bad. And it, it doesn't pay a lot. I mean, it's still over $5 million when you get into, like, the, the top ten picks. Yeah, but what's the salary, Brian? Come on. I mean, $5 million, that could they got a family to feed. <laughs> I know. That could just go like that. And, and that, that, that is uh, something that I don't think a lot of people realize when it comes to baseball is they get that big chunk but then whatever team or level they end up at in the minors, unless they're able to negotiate a specific contract, which is rare, you, got, you get that with like the Bryce Harpers and the things like that, they may be making 1500 a month playing at single A um, yeah. in June or July. But on the flip side, they also have all those millions right up front, whereas other guys on their team got 20000 to sign and got the 1500 So that's yeah. how it works out. Yeah, I, I think you maybe already hinted at this, Brian, um, but it sounds like you're are, are you expecting Rocker to be the person to get the start against Arizona this this coming weekend? Or is there a chance of Arizona seeing both? Um, and if to help the Arizona fans are going to watch the game, what kind of pitchers are these guys in terms of, uh, you know, with their stuff and how the Arizona hitters are going to want to approach it? Uh, there's no way they'll see both of them because uh, they, they wouldn't want to. Uh, if, if they ended up using both of them, then they wouldn't be able to use either of them on Monday for their second game. Um, it's just a matter of if they want to adjust the order. They've gone with Rocker first pretty much every time. I, maybe not in the SEC tournament because it was matchups for opponents, but in the, the regionals and super regionals, it's been Rocker on Friday and Lighter on Saturday. And during the SEC season, I'm pretty sure it was that way almost the whole time. So I'm expecting Rocker... Um, unless the Vanderbilt coaches see something about lighter stuff that works better with uh, Arizona, which is possible because he does have a little bit more of, of some, some, uh, uh, some off-speed pitches he's got. Um, he apparently can throw a, uh, a comeback-type pitch that's in the 90s. Um, I don't have his specific... Um, miles per hour or whatever in front of me, but he, he's got three, four pitches. They both do, but Rocker is much more about like going directly at you and lighter is more of a matter of he's going to get you to chase. Okay. We're talking to Brian J. Peterson, AZ Desert Swarm. He is in Omaha covering the Wildcats on their college world series run. And just, you see pictures like that. You talk about pictures like that. And this does seem like a classic, great offense, great pitching. And, kind of wonder what kind of at-bats, because as Arizona even faced pitchers like this, I'm trying to think back. I was reading an article, actually, in The Athletic earlier this week that talked about like when it was uh, Trevor Bauer and Garrett Cole on UCLA. like They had their pair of aces, and they did not win the College World mm-hmm. Series. So just having two studs at the top of the rotation doesn't mean you're the best team there. But has Arizona's offense, which has been so good all season, faced anyone like these guys? I mean, they faced 
some that are pretty good, uh, but maybe not to this level. Possibly the best pitcher, well, other than Doug Nikhazy that they've faced, that the Ole Miss guy, um, is a kid named Michael McGreevy from UC Santa Barbara that they faced the first of their two games in the regionals. He, on um, some of those same mock drafts, is a projected first-round pick who's got really, really good stuff. And Arizona got, uh, they, they won that game uh, four to nothing, and I think they got two runs off him, but he pretty much held them in check. I think they only had maybe four hits against him. He, they worked a couple uh, counts to get some walks against him. Um, during the Pac-12 season, Stanford's got two very good pitchers in Brendan Beck, who is the, uh, he's the Pac-12 Pitcher of the Year, and Alex Williams. Those were the pitchers in the two games they lost in that series. So they managed to hit Beck a little bit. That game went to 11 innings. They weren't able to really do anything against, against Williams on Sunday. Oregon has two good starters, and Arizona was able to do a lot against one and not much against the other. Even the same when, again, uh, Oregon State has good pitching, and Arizona struggled against the starters in that series. But, see, their goal in every game is to get the starters out before the sixth inning is over. And even if that means putting yourself behind and taking some pitches that you should swing at, um, that they'll do that just to, to be able to see what's going on. I don't know if you saw the pictures that, that Arizona baseball put out on Twitter today from their workout at, I believe, yeah, those, are, those shirts Nebraska, are great. Omaha. I want to spend money on one. Yeah. And, and for, for anyone that's seen it, the, the shirt basically says it's a line drive or it's a ball. It might be, it might be the other way around, but that's essentially the Arizona is if that ball is hittable, you need to, you need to hit it hard and you hit, you hit it on a line and that, that'll work well at, at TD Ameritrade Park because it's a big park. It's bigger than most college parks, yet it's smaller than what Arizona plays in. So Arizona already knows how to play in a big park that you, that you can't, shouldn't be trying to hit it out of. Even though Arizona did hit a lot of home runs at High Corbett Field, that's not what they're known for. They lead the country in hits, runs, but also doubles and triples. So they make the most of the space they have. And so I think when you may see teams – trying to um, play further in because of the size of the outfield. To, that leaves you susceptible to balls that are hit over you. Or if they play back, then you can just slap things and uh, spray it in front of them. Arizona has no problem just it going four straight singles if that's what it takes to get somebody in. Small ball. Well, it's not the, the, the true small ball, which is what Arizona used when they were here in 16 with a lot of um, – uh, bunts and moving runners over and things like that. Arizona is like really good at scoring guys from second on singles and going first to third on singles because they have strong base running, but it's not a matter of where they have to get all of their runs off of home runs. Uh, I think if, if you go and look throughout the season, the percentage of their runs that came off home runs is quite small considering how many runs they score per game. Yeah. So, you know, we've talked a lot about Vanderbilt's pitching, Brian. Uh, how do you think Arizona's going to approach this game in terms of their pitching staff? Uh, you know, they kind of had a creative approach in the last game in the Super Regionals uh, in terms of their of how they they clearly had a plan in terms of who they were going to throw out there, like you talked about. How do you see them attacking Vanderbilt with their pitching staff on Saturday? Well, I though some people might not like to hear it, I don't see any way that it's not Chase Silseth. 
the, the regular uh, game one starter all season going in the opener. And though he has struggled lately, uh, he's had some of his worst outings lately. He only went four and two-thirds against Ole Miss. But he actually, in that game, he gave up three runs in the first inning, and he had runners on basically in every inning. But out, after getting out of that first one, he, he, he never put himself in any sort of, like, super danger. He worked around everything. Um, he, he's had some trouble lately where he uh, getting that out pitch, that his two-strike pitch has become a little too hittable. But Arizona does have, in most cases, the luxury of they can allow their pitchers to give up some hits and give up some runs because they score so much. Um, I think – I still think it will be Silseth going for that game, and it's just going to be a matter of that he is uh, going to have to make sure that all of his pitches count and that he, he's got to – if he does get somebody on, he has to avoid any sort of big innings. And then Garrett Irvin would be the second one. And he, he just came off his worst outing of the season against Ole Miss. He only went an inning and a third. Um, he was just missing too much over the plate. He's got very good stuff. He's, he's thrown two complete games this year. Uh, I don't know who he'll be facing. It could be Stanford, which he beat, or it could be NC State, which has a very good offense that just knocked off the number one seed. Uh, Arizona's not going to worry too much about that one. It's going to be – it should be Silseth and then – because they have a lot of guys in their bullpen who've started this year, like T.J. Nichols, Chandler Murphy, Austin Smith, those kind of guys who can go three, four innings. Quinn Flanagan is another one. Arizona has the ability to, if, say, Silseth is out in three innings, they've got somebody who can eat a bunch of innings before they get to the back end of their rotation, plus they have a lot of mix and match, so that when they get to that third game, which – the earliest it would be is Wednesday, which is three days off in between the first and third game. You could bring Silseth back for that game. If Arizona wins its first two, they get multiple days off. And that's why a team like Vanderbilt looks like a very strong candidate to win the title, because you can get by with only two really good starters if you win those first two games. You can set yourself up that you might not need a third guy until the championship series. And that would certainly be ideal if you're Arizona to find a way, especially you can win on Saturday, beat Rocker, and then you put yourself in a really good position because it's one of those probably confidence boosts. If you can get past him and get the W, then like that's arguably the best pitcher in the tournament. <laughs> and You did the job there, but you talked a little bit earlier about that whole bracket. You got Stanford, NC State, as well as Vanderbilt and Arizona. If Arizona wins or even if they lose, they could play one of those two teams. I think Stanford was one of the, what, two teams to win a series from Arizona in the Pac-12 this season. Is that right? Correct. So when you look at this, Arizona, they were the five seed. They're a really good baseball team. You don't get to this level at this point in the season in the tournament without being very, very good. And obviously their offense is arguably the best in the country right now or the best of the teams that are left. I I don't want to say how do you predict this whole thing in Omaha going because there's a lot of unknowns. We don't know who their second game would be, yada, yada. But just if you're Arizona, you're looking at the Wildcats, going into this College World Series, what do you think of their chances? Well, I think the least likely scenario is the, the so-called two and barbecue, where you play two games, lose them both, and go home. Thank you for coming out. That, but that's going to happen to two teams in this field, and it's going to happen to two good teams, two teams that won a regional and won a super regional that in neither case lost more than one game, and now they would lose two. I, just, I don't see that happening to Arizona because if you look at this season, they've only lost consecutive games three times, and the last time was in mid-April. And 
they uh, they tend to bounce back from those losses really well, especially if it's a blowout game, um, that, and which was what you could categorize the uh, the middle game to Ole Miss. They lose that 12-3. They come back the next day 16-3. This season they've had six op- six times where they've lost more, by more than three runs, and the next game they've gone five and one. The only loss was in extra innings at Grand Canyon during their three-game losing streak, but. Overall, in those games, they've averaged 13 runs a game and like 16 hits. So what they pride themselves on is not making one game factor into the next one. While you can maybe use some scouting and all that, you don't use any, oh, well, we we played poorly in that one, so we're going to play poorly in this one. They treat each game completely separate, whether it's a win or a loss. They don't base any expectations off of that. And... So I, I just I can't see them losing two in a row at any point in this tournament. That that should make it fun. Hopefully you're right. Hopefully they don't lose two at all. Uh, Brian P- Brian J. Peterson, AZ Desert Storm. You can find him on Twitter at Real BJP. I know you're out in Omaha this weekend, or for at least the foreseeable future, right? They're gonna be providing a ton of content that can be found on AZDesertStorm.com. Yes, yeah, I'll be here uh, at least for the next six days and. Each time Arizona wins, I'll just extend that stay. It could be 15 days. So I mean, hopefully it'd be cool to see if it were 15. Yeah, I mean, the last time uh, someone brought this uh, this up on Twitter the other day that I saw, it's really interesting. Going back to 1970, every other time Arizona makes the College World Series, they've won it. Well, they didn't win it the last time they were here. So if you believe in those kind of things, then Arizona's due to win it again. I think we all want to believe in those kind of things, especially right now. <laughs> Brian, hopefully we'll catch up with you again, hopefully, I guess, next week to preview even more Arizona baseball games, and then hopefully you come back to Arizona in a couple of weeks' time. But Brian Peterson, AZ Desert Storm, thank you for joining us on Wildcat Radio 2.0. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, that's Brian Peterson. When we come back, as promised, we will talk about that school up north that's in a little bit of trouble these days. Thanks again to Brian J. Peterson for that talk about Arizona Wildcats baseball, who I know we're all hoping has a at least a two-week stay in Omaha right now. Like They are not the favorite necessarily, but they are a contender. And, Brett, I feel like that's all you ask for. Yeah, I mean, you get to Omaha. I've been told in the past that the, the Wildcats own Omaha. So I have we'll a see shirt that, that says that. We'll see if that if that shirt is true. Yeah, no, I, but, I don't think my clothing lies. I'd like to think that my shirts don't lie, but um, <laughs> we t- we teased it early in the show, Brett. I mean, you and I are both of us. We're, neither of us are the type of people who say, "Hey, we if ASU loses, that's a win for Arizona, right?" Like it's not. Like that no. that's not us. Like it, we root for Arizona. We don't say root against ASU. But this did come up over the last week. ASU football is kind of in the news for possible alleged, of course recruiting violations that they had brought players on campus or high school players on campus during the COVID time where it was a dead period. And then there's more reports from the athletic, how they perhaps allegedly, of course, we have to hedge this paid for players to watch them in the Las Vegas bowl when they lost to San Jose state or which, who was it that they lost to in Vegas? Fresno state, Fresno state. One of the schools that like, why are you losing to them? But allegedly, they brought, they paid for players to come watch that game. And again, we're not the people who celebrate ASU losses as if they're wins for Arizona. But man, oh man, like I, if this stuff is true, the Devils are in trouble. Yeah, I, I, I <laughs> tweeted out on the Twitter machine that like, imagine 
cheating and paying players to watch you lose your bowl game to <laughs> Fresno State. Um, yeah, it, it, it all kind of escalated quickly. There was like, you know, George Reitzer was tweeting out some stuff, uh, hinting that something big was coming down and and then immediately said this wasn't even full yet and hinting that there's even more to come. But Ooh. boy, if 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 half of what has been reported is true, um, they're in trouble. And the, the thing that if you're an Arizona State fan that makes you, you know, really concerned is the fact that very quickly there was a lot of reports from different outlets saying that people are basically lined up that are either in the program providing sources, this information in screenshots, you know, providing the receipts, videos of people having illegal recruiting visits um, inside the program and even coaches that left. And, you know, some people have talked about maybe even some coaches got screwed out of a buyout based on where they left to that maybe <laughs> means they're you know mad at ray anderson and and like I, you know I, I forget if it was michael lev or somebody else in the local media was pointing out that like david shaw was going on the record commenting oh, that was, uh, about doug the Haller's article or was that oh yeah or that was at the was that the uh yahoo article i don't want to put it in doug Haller. i think it was the the yahoo article pete well, article. Fact, yeah the fact that rival head coaches were going on the record and a lot of a lot of media people very quickly or people connected into the recruiting world in the west coast were saying how like it was not a well-kept secret um it it sure <laughs> it sure feels like there's there were some there are some angry people that are that have provided a lot of evidence that means you know the dip i mean i'm on the record i think all schools cheat in some form oh, it's just yeah, how brazenly you do it but boy if somebody is so if your culture is so bad that you have people ready to burn down your entire program and like screen grabbing things and sending that to the ncaa and like there's people lined up out the door ready to like back that claim up like it seems like there is Oof. you know <laughs> that the, there's a difference between like what is alleged and what can be proven right and like mm -hmm. you know we there, the, the the difference for like Sean Miller in Arizona, even with all the FBI stuff, even with the wiretaps, there's no there's no actual, you know, the great thing is that about that whole thing is there's no actual evidence tying Sean Miller to anything. If anything, all of the the notice of allegations made Sean Miller look better personally, even if like it's plausible deniability. And it sounds like from the reporting, granted, if it's true and it may not be, it may be inaccurate, but. It doesn't sound like that's going to be something that's possible. <laughs> and I, boy, that doesn't make it be a four-year NCAA investigation. No, and I wrote a thing for AZ Does Storm. It was basically titled, An Arizona Fan's Guide to Handling an NCAA Investigation. Right? Like, Arizona has been there. Every every investigation is different. But I'm, I'm not going to lie and say that I didn't. Like, what's the best way to phrase this? I don't take joy in all this. And I, I feel like just like it was for Arizona when it was Sean Miller, let the investigation play out. Like, what's alleged is not say what's true or what happened. Whatever can be proven, that's what we'll go with, right? Like, if we're going to say as Arizona fans, if you can't prove this, it didn't happen, whether you believe it or not, like, whether you believe it's true or not, if it's not proven it didn't happen, cool. If that's your baseline, then we need to hold to the same standard for ASU, right? Like, I think that's mm -hmm. fair. Yeah. But if you look at just, oh, man. Like, if there's a dossier, and, like, it sounds like from other reports, there's a dossier that was handed over, and it might have been from bitter ex-coaches. Doesn't mean it doesn't exist, right? They didn't hand over a, hand over a binder full of blank 
sheets of paper. They handed over something that caused this investigation and caused this reporting to happen. So, and I, I, I've seen ACB like, oh, it's just not that bad. It's just like a couple of scholarships. Like, if if you are determined to have cheated for a competitive advantage, that's a problem. Like, ignore the fact that it was during a COVID pandemic where the whole reason they had a dead bear is because they didn't want to spread a deadly virus, which ASU lost, what, nearly a month because they had a COVID outbreak? Like, that doesn't look good. But if the idea is that, like, for Arizona, if you want to try to compare them, you, it, you can't because it's different things for Arizona basketball. But what we know for Arizona basketball, right, was, I guess we could say, as Book Richardson took money as a bribe, and he didn't give it to the players. He just kept it himself. Was it Mark Phelps? They changed some transcripts. Like, that was it. There was no money handed to players. There was nothing like that. It was still bad, and Arizona should be punished for what happened under that, you know, under that administration, under Sean Miller. But if you're ASU, the allegations that are out there are that you brought players on campus for official visits when they were supposed to be a dead period, which is not cool, that you maybe paid for them to come, which is basically handing them money. Like, so like, there's no difference there. Like, you basically paid players to come to ASU and visit. And then you did everything you could to try to hide it. Like you knew it was wrong and you still like you were trying, you were thinking about turning off cameras and doing, you know, back alleyways and staircases. Like we don't know what's going to happen. And this is Wildcat Radio 2.0. Like we're obviously not ASU fans. And I've told people, I'm like, let the investigation play out. Like you have to. And I, the same way I treat Arizona, I'm going to treat ASU, but a hundred percent. I'm a lot less nervous about where this one goes than I was or still am, actually, with Arizona's situation. <laughs> like, hey, wherever this goes, let it happen. Like, I'm cool well, with yeah. it. <laughs> for, for Arizona and for Sean Miller, it was always the, like, vague culture of compliance. Like, basically is a wide berth for there's smoke, but we don't know if there's ever actually any fire. And then how much do you assert judgment there? There sure seems like there's a high chance, based on what's reported, that it's not a question of a culture of compliance. They are actively <laughs> and with clear delineated evidence. There is a basically somebody handed over a index binder that says ASU's recruiting cheating <laughs> plus COVID protocol disruption or like, you know, mismanagement addendum. If what's alleged is true, it ain't good. Like there's not a lot of ways out of and, this one. <laughs> and like, yeah, well, it, so every one of those things is like its own violation on. And then on top of that, there's a culture of compliance and you can't argue the culture of compliance when there's evidence that potentially the head coach has, there's reports that Herm Edwards is in the loop on this, right? Like at least on the, the illegal visits. Um, and I'm, you know, I don't know. It's I, like I said, like you said, I'm not somebody that wants to dance on people's graves or throw, you know, throw stones in glass houses and all that. But if you go back to my Twitter feed when the FBI thing, and the only, the only pleasure I take in this is a bunch of people that were casting those stones. And I think in, you know, when the FBI raids happened, I said, eh, maybe don't throw stones in glass houses. Yeah. It's bad for potentially bad for Arizona, but you know, what goes around comes around for those people that were kind of maybe less reasoned. I don't feel but, bad for them how, withering and twisting a little bit. How often does what goes around come in? How often does the shoe fit so perfectly on their foot? And it's all alleged, and we don't know where this thing's going to go with ASU. Like, it seems like this investigation doesn't start, like, I'll, I'll be honest, like, this investigation doesn't start without some alleged dossier. Like, I'm sure there's something. Like, there's smoke. You know, how much fire there is, we don't know. We'll find out. But, I mean, somebody gave them pictures of the fire. 
Right. Like there's supposedly like receipts and like there's everything there. Like it seems like we don't know, but it seems like there's a pretty cut and dry case for something happened. But in terms of like, if you're looking from the Arizona perspective, how often does just the shoe fit so perfectly under their foot? Like it's been what not less than four years since the book retrospective thing happened. I was in end of 2017, like September 2017. It's like in such a short amount of time, it's like we get to see how ASU fans handle the same thing. <laughs> like, like that's kind of fun. Like if there's any hypocrisy, and fans are going to be fans. Like Arizona fans, ASU fans are all the same. Like I'm not going to pretend like oh Arizona fans are a higher brow. Like they would not, you know, an ASU fan, you know, no. But it seems so hey, perfectly Adam, pander pander to our audience better. You're failing. <laughs> but no, I but like how often does it, it seems so perfect, right? Like, oh now get to see how you all handle this. You know? Also if you're saying like maybe back then like how dare like what's wrong with you? You're saying, hey, wait for investigation, this and that, like he's guilty, it's out there. Well now you're gonna be like, Hey, wait for the investigation. Like, come on. <laughs> like we've we have been there, ASU's there now, and I don't feel good for them. Like, I'm not feeling bad for them either, but I don't feel good for them because but what we know and what it sounds like, if there's a dossier which has been alleged that's just like receipts, images, emails, the very things that Arizona is saying, hey, that doesn't exist. If it does for ASU, they are in trouble. That's all. Yeah. Well, first off, what does misery love? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean... If, if we we are four years removed and we still don't know what ultimate ruling is finally going to come down from the NCAA for the Sean Miller era, but that took four years and I think where we're at today, even with Sean Miller being fired and all the the, the fallout from that, I think Arizona's basketball program, even if there is you know an expected level of sanctions. I think they're going to get off lighter than what ASU football is going to get and much quicker <laughs> if cuz if there is the the if there is all this evidence there's there's no argument you you clean right. house the whole athletic department and coaching staff is gone <laughs> right and sanctioned and it's and like there how much the, if that evidence is so clear the investigation isn't a four-year investigation into no. like is this true or not. It's more how much more is there, and that's a completely different thing. So <laughs> you so know, we'll we'll see where that goes. Obviously, like I don't know. Like ASU losses are not wins for Arizona unless Arizona beat ASU. I feel like we both agree on yeah. that. But it will be interesting to see what happens to the Sun Devils here, especially given the context of hey. They had a little bit of fun at Arizona's expense for the last four years, which, hey, not say wasn't deserved, you know, or warranted. But it'll be interesting to see it play out on the other side of things. So, well, can we can we can we uh, just say that as true Arizona fans, we are very excited to see the uh, Manchurian candidate sleeper cell Antonio Pierce, Arizona Wildcat <laughs> alumni. Hey, bear bring, down, Antonio. <laughs> bring. Playing the long con. Like, <laughs> that was my went... favorite. I got some tweets about that. Like, he was playing the long con. I'm like, <laughs> like, I'm sure that's not the case. But, man, it's funny to think about that he. <laughs> oh, we'll see. Like, you know, the best case scenario, that game that happened at the end of 2020 doesn't count. It is vacated. And, hey, you know, 
There was no Territorial Cup in 2020. <laughs> Baked, vacated from their record books and also our hearts and minds, Adam. <laughs> if they could do that, do like the Men in Black, just like this didn't happen because like I drank a lot that night and I still remember enough to know what happened, like what the final score was. Oh, yeah. I was with you that night. Yeah. We, we had a few. We, we did, but we did, we did not have enough. But I, there was there was there was never enough. That no, night. not for that night. But yeah, I think that's gonna do it for our Wildcat Radio 2.0 this week. Everyone, thank you for listening. We appreciate it. You know, Arizona baseball this weekend. They're playing in the College World Series. Make sure you watch those games. They're on ESPN. Uh, playing Vanderbilt to start on Saturday. Hopefully, they win that game. But it's a pretty tough bracket. We'll see where one of the best offices in college baseball goes. Uh, we appreciate you listening. Make sure you are subscribing to us on uh, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to rate us, also do that. We would appreciate it, especially if it's good ratings. But otherwise, whatever happens with Arizona baseball and football and basketball, there's a lot going on. We're going to talk about it next week. But until then, remember to bear down. Bear down. <laughs>